so I'm sort of interested in your take, and I have been to a conference a few years ago when you were speaking. One of the thoughts that you had was um, something like, uh, in your analysis, clients should be willing to have major allocations to CTAs, 50% or whatever. <clears throat> and given that uh, CTAs do have a sort of a systematic approach, they have all these markets, you know, currencies, commodities, stocks, bonds, the availability to create these portfolios in any way that they want, long and short, uh, you know, how have they sort of, from your point of view, how, how do you think they've blown it? Because they really don't have a lot of AUM, even with the mutual funds that are available. Uh, I guess recent performance is harming those to some degree, but it must be deeper than that from an outsider, sort of semi-outsider point of view. I, I think so much of this relates to branding and marketing. Um, we did an old post on the blog unrelated to this topic, but I think it's instructive where we talked about the old taste tests between Coke and Pepsi, where in blind taste tests, almost everyone prefers Pepsi. But if you, if you reveal what the soda is, most people still prefer Coke. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, I'm a Coke guy. I would never drink Pepsi. So I'm, I'm probably struck with the same bias. But it tells a lot about the way the human brain works, as well as memories and, and attachment and branding. And so if you think about investing in general, I think there's some really good brands. The example I was giving was dividends, and, and people love high-yielding dividend stocks, for example, despite the fact they're hugely tax-inefficient, despite the fact that you should never own them really in a tax account, um, and they underperform a lot of other strategies, and they're really a non, kind of a nonsensical strategy. We don't have to go down that rabbit hole, but my point being, people still love them. And why do they love them? They have the brand of people think you're getting a check in the mail. The, there's the image of the retiree, you know, or someone living on an island and collecting their dividend checks as if they're, you know, um, somehow getting paid just just to own these companies. And so um, I said dividends have a great brand, and these dividend funds have raised hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. Now, it's not the worst investment strategy, but but it's a nonsensical one. So as you think about trend following and you think about its real origins um, and, and kind of the ways we describe trend following, it's, it's really in the managed futures world. And, and um, you know, some of you guys have been around a lot longer than I have, but uh, certainly trend following many of these managed futures funds have some of the best performing continuous track records in history. And we're talking, you know, um, on par with some of the top hedge funds of all time, top investment strategies of all time. So why isn't that strategy the dominant strategy in addition to the fact that it diversifies your traditional global portfolio? And I think, um, I think it's simple. I, I think uh, there, there's two components. One is that it was labeled managed futures, which I think just sounds scary. I think anytime you say the word futures, people think derivatives, people think... Buffett's phrase, weapons of mass destruction, you know, they think that somehow they hear the stories of people uh, blowing up funds and banks and everything else. And it's just kind of a scary term. Um, and the second is that it's, uh, it's uncomfortable, you know, and it's a career risk, meaning if you go out there and you buy the 60-40 portfolio and it doesn't do well, you can explain it. You can explain it to anyone. If you do 60-40 tilted with dividends, even better. Um, but if you have something weird like managed futures um, or some sort of trend-following exposure and you do poorly, then um, obviously you lose your job. If you do well, you may get a pat on the back. Hey, you did slightly better in 08, but you know, great for you. 
Um, so I think a lot of it has to do with simple just branding. I think if we were to teleport uh, in our time machine back to 1970s or prior, um, or talk to Cha- Charles Dow 100 years ago and said, hey, look, you know, let's call this something different. Let's just call it the trend following index, you know, or, or some, sort of, some sort of better, uh, better description. I think it would probably be the dominant investing strategy. Now, the way that I like to describe it to institutions that are, or people that are uh, somewhat reluctant, I say, you know, if you think about it, all of your equities, the original John Bogle, Markowitz sort of uh, index is a trend-following index on stocks. Market cap weighting, if you think about it, it's also somewhat nonsensical. All you're doing is investing in stocks. You invest more, the bigger they get. You invest less, the smaller they get. And bigger meaning by price times shares outstanding. That's like the ultimate trend-following index. <laughs> they just they never sell. They just sell when it gets kicked out of the index for getting too small. So it has a slightly different algorithm. But talk about that raised a trillion dollars. So they called it passive index and market cap weighting. But it's literally trend following on equities, different form. Um, so they got the branding right. So I, I think it's it's just a, a question of, um, you know, I think the thing I, I may have said in that conference was, if you took any scientist or any allocator and, and blinded the return streams of any trend following index, managed futures versus stocks, bonds, anything going back to, uh, certainly the 70s, but you can simulate it back prior to that, and said, you know, how much of this should you include in your portfolio? Well, the number it kicks out often is like half into managed futures and trend-following strategies, but um, I think we're the outlier. We, we allocate half to, to trend-following type of ideas, but I, I don't know any other institution that really has ever allocated more than, say, 10%. So, um, if it, again, once again, long-winded answer to your question, but I think uh, I think it's simply a matter of branding that has snowballed over over the years <laughs> yeah long-winded but very good answer thanks for that matt 